Take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 12. 2, 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have done in these baptism candidates, those that have come forward to proclaim your name. We're thankful for your grace and goodness in their lives, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will bless them and help them to walk and endure in you, looking to you, trusting you. And Father, we pray that all of us, as we look at your word today, that we will again be reminded of who you are and what we need, and that is you. Help us to depend upon you, to rejoice in you, and to proclaim you to the world, for you are our hope and our joy and our peace and our glory. We long to be with you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, so we can be with you out of these bodies of death and into glorified bodies with you. Father, we praise your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It is definitely a good morning. Yes, it is. The last two weeks in our country, we have watched a trial that was tried in the court of public opinion over the last couple years, ever without even seeing the evidence. Y'all all know about the trial I'm talking about. Many people made their judgments way before facts were even really known. In the end, a jury found the young man not guilty, even though many in the world were, and probably still are, convinced he was guilty. We all hope and trust that our judicial system is just and fair, right? That's what we want. We hope that that's true. We hope that judges and juries make decisions that are just and impartial. And we hope the truth will prevail in our country, correct? But we all must admit, and I'm not speaking about the trial anymore, where I'm talking about in general, we must all admit that justice is never perfect in our world, right? In fact, criminals often walk, and the innocent are sometimes even found guilty, and those that murder their babies aren't even brought up on trial 
and the ones that perform it aren't brought up on trial for murdering children. But I have good news. There is a righteous court. There is a just judge. And there is a righteous standard by which the judge rules impartially. It's a good, and it is good, that the justice reigns in God's court. Righteousness reigns in in God's court. Because a just judge means, and God is a just judge, it means that the guilty will by no means go unpunished. I don't know about you, those words both bring a tremble down my soul and also a joy to my heart. In our passage, we learn that God's just wrath hangs over the condemned. So who are these condemned people? And what are they condemned for? There it is. The generic man in our passage, it started back in 2.1. Remember we talked about last week that it should say, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you. And then it's brought up again in verse 3. But do you suppose, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things? The generic man in this section is any righteous or religious, rather, or outwardly moral person, a self-righteous person, a person that thinks, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. I'm okay. The one who considers himself good compared to others. But our passage, the Apostle Paul is showing that this person who thinks they're good to the outward, to everybody else, is actually really condemned. And he goes from two 1 to 16, and he shows that everybody that thinks much of themselves is in fact what? Condemned. We started last week and we saw that they're condemned for doing what is worthy of wrath in verse 1 to 2. They're condemned for lack of true repentance in verses 3 to 5. They're condemned for evil deeds in verses 6 to 11. And this self-righteous one, whether Jew or Gentile is condemned for breaking the law in verses 12 to 16. Last week we kind of covered the first point, and I kind of want to review real quickly and then look at 12 to 16 briefly and then close because I have less time today for a good reason. Look first. Oh man, you are condemned for doing what is worthy of wrath. The self-righteous one thinks that He looks out at the world and says, I'm not like them. I see the world. I see how bad they are. But as soon as that self-righteous one says, I'm not like them, he's admitting something. He's admitting admitting that there's a righteous standard. And because that self-righteous one is not perfect and righteous himself, he actually condemns himself by saying that I'm not like any of them. It says this in verse 1, notice, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. 
It's not the act of judging that there's right and wrong that's the problem that condemns a person. It's that they actually do what the unrighteous do. They sin too. And that would, by the way, include every one of us in the room, right? Because we know that there's a righteous standard and I know I fall short of it. I'm not perfect. And so therefore, I'm judged just like you're judged. We're all condemned in ourselves. Verse 2 says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So how many of us deserve judgment? All of us. All of us. By acknowledging that the pagan world sins and is deserving of judgment, all of us condemn ourselves. We basically say there's a righteous standard and I fall short too, so I'm condemned too. Who needs Jesus? All of us. Everybody. Second, we saw, oh man, you are condemned for lack of repentance. Lack of repentance. Notice verse 3. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? The implication is, no, I, I shouldn't think that I am going to escape the judgment of God. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, hey, I'm making it so far. I haven't been turned over as bad as those in the pagan world. Does that mean I'm okay then? Because I'm not as bad as them. No, no that you haven't been turned over to the depth of your depravity by God's judgment, it actually shows that God is being kind to you and merciful to you. And if, you're, if He's being merciful to you and to me, what should we do? Turn to Christ. Turn to God. Acknowledge our sin and say, I need you. Have a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of direction in our life. Repent. But the problem is, we're born with stubborn and unrepentant hearts. Verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Again, Paul states that a lack of repentance and continued sin is storing up wrath for the lost. Even the self-righteous one is storing up wrath for himself. And when is that going to happen? Notice it says, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There's a day coming when God is going to show that He is righteous. This day, by the way, will be referenced again in verse 16. Same day. The day of wrath and revelation. Wrath is coming for the unrepentant. Anybody that has not turned from their sin and trusted in Christ... Judgment is coming. We saw in our baptism candidates today, was not repentance clear? They made it very clear. This is who I was, and this is who I now want to serve. If you haven't turned your life to Christ, if you haven't turned to the one that can forgive you, the one who died in your place, turn today. Turn today, because otherwise you stand condemned in your unrepentance. So what does the unrepentant need? A Savior. I need it too. For most of my life, I did not repent. For 20 years, 21 years of my life, I guess it's not most anymore. Wow. 
wild thought. It was for a long time. <laughs> 21 years of my life, I wasn't repentant. I did what? I covered. I made excuses. I blame shifted. I said that I was better than everybody else, or at least better than that guy. I thought much of myself and thought that somehow I looked good on the outside, but I was actually, as Julian mentioned, had dead man's bones. I was dead in sin. So what did I need? A Savior. What do you need? A Savior. Third, we learned that the generic man was condemned for his deeds. For his deeds. Look at it. O oh man, you are condemned for evil deeds. Verse 6, who will render to each person according to his deeds? To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life they get. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation they get. There will be tribulation and distress, distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. We saw last week that based on our deeds, God will judge. God will judge us based on our deeds. Now, that's horrifying if you're honest. We also saw, and we gave the caveat to make sure that you understood that we're not saved by our deeds. We know that because later in the passage, and later in chapter 3, he makes it very clear, by works of the law, no man is justified. But he says, God will judge based on deeds. And we saw in this passage that God will judge every man according to his deeds without partiality. Wrath for evil deeds and life for good or for God or with God produced by God for good deeds. Now, it's important to note that in this passage, we talked about the chiasm last week, and it's very important for you to understand because otherwise, if you miss it, you will think that this is all about doing good and therefore avoiding God's judgment. If you look in verse 7 and verse 10, it's this idea that it, to those who persevere in doing good, seek glory for honor and immortality, what do they get? They get eternal life. And then verse 10 here, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So who gets glory, honor, and peace? Those who do good. But God doesn't bless us based on our good deeds. So why does he say this? Well, he's hinting at something that's coming further. And I could not think of a better illustration. I wrapped my brain, and some of y'all are going to not like it, but I'm sorry, it's the only thing I could come with. You know how in the Star Wars movies, I know, don't condemn me, <laughs> that in the sometimes in the Star Wars movies, they have little allusions to something that's coming in future uh, episodes or future movies. They, I think they're column. Easter eggs. I'm not supposed to say that, but Easter eggs. They have these things that point forward, but it doesn't fully develop what it is. Well, that's exactly what's happening here for the Apostle Paul. In verse 7 and 10, he's giving Easter eggs of what's going to happen in the future. 
He's explaining that the heart that's converted by God does what? It seeks glory and honor and immortality. It's not that we earn right standing. It's because God worked in our hearts and therefore we are justified and therefore we'll seek God. Does that make sense? But the main point of this section is what? It's verse 8 and 9. Which is what? Condemnation for those who do not do good. Who do not do good. Well, again... All of us in the room say, well, I haven't always done good. So what does that say? We are condemned. So who do we need? A Savior. We need Jesus. That's his point. That's where Paul is going with this passage. Yet also giving those little hints of future. Of some that are walking repentant lives. As he hinted in repentance being what you should do. And 7 to 10, repentant lives, those that seek God by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Christ did, faith in what Christ did. And therefore we, by faith, by grace, through faith, seek Him. His grace. You heard it in the testimonies. Did y'all hear it in the testimonies? Each one of the testimonies talked about who they are now. And who do they pursue now? Pursue Christ. However, the primary theme of this, condemnation. That's his point. Paul's main point is there. I do believe the secondary theme is being set up. Now, you ask me, why do I go over this so much? Why am I reviewing so much? Why? Well, because we're just about to drop into a bomb of a passage. Verses 12 to 16 are some of the hardest words in all of Romans. I want Romans chapter 9 over this. I'll take Romans chapter 9 over this. And Romans chapter 9, as you know, is very difficult. These are some very hard words. But it's the last condemnation. Let's look at it. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified, declared right with God. Now... Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law naturally do the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves who demonstrate, who demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness with, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On that day... When according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad I have extra time today to cover these hard verses? <laughs> I wrestled with them. I admit to you that when I look at this, I've, I preached this passage different every time I've ever preached it than I'm going to today. What does that mean? Uh-oh. Pastor Mike, what are you doing? 
Well, I can tell you, beloved, as a whole, the Bible, the perspicuity of Scripture, is clear and it's understandable. Passages are understandable. God wants us to know Him and understand Him. But there are passages that can be a little difficult. This one being one of them. The reason why is because you have good and godly men that disagree on this one. And so I'm going with a minority opinion. And yes, I'm even going against John MacArthur. But I want to go with what the passage says. So let's look at it and look closely. And y'all can write it off if it's wrong and be good Bereans. And if you want to walk outside and fillet me for lunch, that's fine. Because really it doesn't matter what you think. It matters about my King Jesus that's watching me. And i got to give honor to him. And I think this is what the passage says. By grace, through faith, trusting in him. So... I want you to notice a couple of features of the passage before I kind of unfold it real quickly. Notice the connections between all the verses. It seems to flow. If you just read down through it, it just flows, right? It, unless you're reading your NIV Bible, you will then in the NIV see that 14 and 15 are really just side notes. They're a side note. They're not really in the flow of the argument. But I don't see that. In verse 12, 4, all have sinned without the law. All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. What's the for therefore? It's referencing what? Previous. Previous. Which previous is talking about God judging impartially. God judging for deeds impartially. Right? That's what we just went over. That God is judging impartially for deeds. Then verse 12, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So who are these two groups? Who are these two groups? Well, I think they're the Gentiles and the Jews, as he's already mentioned for the Jew first and then for the Gentile or Greek, right? So who are the ones without the law? That would be most of us in the room, right? Without the law. We were born without the law. We were born not under the Mosaic law. For all who have sinned without the law will what? Perish without the law. What's that imply? You will die. You will die without the law. If you're not a Jewish person and you don't have the law, guess what you're going to do? You're going to die without the law. Why? Well, he's already told us back in 132 why. Because we know the righteous, what? Requirements of God in 132 for all those that practice evil. And what is that righteous requirement in 132? Death, which is another way of saying perish, right? So why are we going to die without the law? Well, because though we don't have the law, we have God's righteous understanding his a conscience that God made us with this image bearer we have a conscience that tells us that's wrong right okay and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law who's that the Jewish people right but notice verse 13 verse 13 is kind of tied to it and it does seem to move on a little bit here and he says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, again, let me ask you a question. 
Will you be declared right by how well you do good? It's a trick question. But the answer is no. Even though he says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be just. What is that? That is another way of saying what? 7 and 10. Verses 7 and 10. It's another way of saying what? That those who God has transformed, changed, declared right, do what? Do good. We seek God, glory and honor and immortality. And God, what? He's already declared us right, and we will be shown to be and demonstrated to be the just of God. Okay, that's what I think he's referring. I think 13 is just 7 and 10 all over again, pointing to this whole concept. So what does he have? He has two concepts going simultaneous through the passage. And what are the two concepts that are running simultaneous through the passage? Everybody's condemned. Everybody needs a Savior, right? If you were to just preach the overview of it, that's how I'd preach it. Everybody needs Jesus. But he's got this subtle little in-between going along that those that have repented and trusted in God because God's grace working in their life, they are what? His own, and they are justified. They're declared right with him. Again, it's an Easter egg pointing forward to what? Six, seven, and eight. Okay? And the reader in Rome that's a Christian would know this. Remember, he's writing to Christians. So they would understand this. We have to really think on it, don't we? Well, it's because over time, the gospel has been so distorted and so twisted and been taught to us in so many different wrong ways. Some people say, you pray this prayer, walk this aisle, and you're set no matter what you do. Well, that's not what a heart that's converted does. A heart that knows God can't help but stand up and speak, Jesus died for me. I want to live for him. Which is what our baptism candidates just did. Now, look at verse 13 and 14. Those that say this next passage is only about condemnation, 14 and 15 is only about condemnation, don't see the tie between verse 13 and 14. But there's a tie between 13 and 14. Look at it. In... 13, what's it say? But the doers of the law will be justified. What's that word doers? That's the verb, right? Doers. I know I'm getting complex, and some of you are visiting, and you're like, man, this is hard. Hang in there. Just look at the passage. I think you can get it. I promise. Look, watch. But the doers of the law will be justified. Now look at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do the things of the law, Whoa, that same do there, do the things of the law, what's that imply? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're Gentiles who are doing the things of the law. Okay, so what is he talking about here? And then in your translations, many of you have in your translation, it says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. Did you all see that? Do instinctively the things of the law? Let me just give you a little hint. 
That's a translation issue. And it's not an easy translation issue. A matter of fact, the instinctively should actually be closer and is in the Greek closer to having the law than it is to doing the things of the law. In other words, it should be read this way. For when Gentiles who do not have naturally, instinctively, the law, do the things of the law. So why does that change? What does that change? Well, let me ask you. You who are non-Jewish in the room. How many of you woke up that first morning that you came home and your parents had hanging over their doorpost Deuteronomy 6, 4. Did you have the law? Were you under the law? Were you naturally born into having the law with you? No, he's already said you were without the law, right? I think all he's doing is carrying on forward this idea. So, for when Gentiles who do not have instinctively, naturally, the law, do the things of the law, who would that be? Who are Gentiles that do the law? Who are they? That would be all converted Gentiles. The 7 and 10. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 10. Those that are doing it. We who are seeking God and honoring Him, we fulfill the law. What? He says it. Don't take it from me. He says it in Romans chapter 12. How do we do it? By loving one another. Now again, does our actions and our duties do it? Does it earn our way to Christ? No, no, please don't get that. No, we're actually what? Deserving of judgment, right? But we do the things of the law. And these not having a law are a law in themselves. And look at verse 15, very interesting verse. Who demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts. Now, let's see how many Old Testament scholars there are in the room. Anybody have an idea where... And I know you're looking right now, y'all are looking in your references and you're saying, where was this mentioned in the Old Testament? And you got your little things out and you got that little A standing right there beside the work of the law. And you think, oh, he, I'm going to beat him to the punch. And you look there and it says Romans 2. And it doesn't say anything about anything else. Has anybody ever heard Jeremiah 31, 31? What is that? Anybody know? It's the new covenant. It's the new covenant. The new covenant relationship that's in Christ. What happens in the new covenant relationship in Christ? God writes the law on their hearts so that they will do what? Obey Him. Wait, but we're talking about Gentiles. But we, too, are a part of what? The new covenant. We too. So he's alluding again to what's going to happen, but condemning the Jew. Now why would he do this? Who demonstrate the work of the law written in their heart. Show the work of the law written in your heart? How many of you show the work of the law written in their heart? Well, I would testify that I think our three testimonies today did what? Gave evidence of the work of the law written in their heart. What do you think? Everybody? Amen. Huh. They're giving testimony of that. 
And yet they do have their consciences. And it's translated here, their consciences bearing witness. But it actually has a prefix on the front of the bearing witness. Now I know some of y'all are like, who is this guy? Why is Mike going here? Well, I'm not alone. There is this really good scholar that's pretty decent, so I'm going to stand with him. His name's Cranfield. He's okay. I'm not out there by myself. And Augustine said it too. Now, I know Augustine has some weird stuff, but in this case, I think I'm there. I'm okay. I'm by myself with those two. But their conscience is bearing witness with, with, with. With what? The work of the law written in their heart. So consciences, the believer has a conscience and the law written in their heart. And what else, as we'll know in chapter 8? The Holy Spirit. So in that tension, their thoughts are alternately accusing or else defending them. I think this is a believer here. I think it is a believer. The believer is what? This is me. Anybody? Accusing or defending, I'm constantly battling. I know that I shouldn't do this and I should do... Oh, that sounds like Romans 7. Huh. Maybe the exact same thing. Accusing or defending them. So as believers, we are what? We're repenting regularly. We're constantly turning back to God. Not trusting ourselves, still recognizing who? God. God alone. Christ, my Savior, alone. So I think 14 and 15 are just developing verse 13, which is developing verse 7 and 10. Does that make sense? And so we come to verse 16. On the day when according to my gospel. Now I don't know about you, but the first hundred times I read this, I thought, according to my gospel, what's good news about this? Well, it's good news if you understand what? That God's saving people in the midst, and that he's declaring some righteous by his grace alone, not because we deserve it, not because we're worthy of it, but because he's good. And it is the gospel, and God will show himself to be judge, a just and righteous judge. And he will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus, who is the judge, right? It's important for us to note that the gospel includes an understanding that God is just and that we need him. Otherwise, we're condemned. But in him, we can walk by grace through faith in Christ, and we can enjoy him. Does this make sense? And it is good news. I look forward to that day when God says, let me tell you about my child that I adopted. His name is Michael Sprott. Thank you, God. It's not because of me. It's because of him. And how many of you have had, struggled with the secrets of my, oh, this is a battle going on. And, and the world often says what? You're not a real believer. You're not true. Constantly accused from the outside and the inside. Right? But God has worked in our hearts. And one day, one day, by the way, he talks about that in Romans chapter 8 when he says the revealing of the sons of God. Guess who those are? Us. Again, another highlight looking forward. In the midst of the condemnation, he's still pointing to the hope that's coming. I love how Paul writes. I, well, it's obviously God, isn't it? 
Can you write about two subjects at the same time? Interchange them, interweave them, interweave them perfectly. You know, one of the hardest things about pastoring, preaching, is this. You ready? I'm preaching you a passage on condemnation. And in the midst of preaching on condemnation, if I stop, two weeks ago I did a sermon, and when I ended it, I ended it with a really hard statement about condemnation. And you could have heard a pin drop in this place. And everybody in the place was like, I can see it. Everybody was about ready to cry. I'm condemned. Do you remember that I, I, in my prayer, I just had to give the hope of the gospel? I couldn't leave you a whole week going into condemnation. I had to point you to where your hope is found. It's not in you, right? Well, in preaching, when you're going through a section like this, you're often thinking what? You're often thinking, man, me as a pastor, this is going to be a hard message for people to hear. I don't get to get to three. I don't get to get to five. I don't get to get to four today. Romans 4, 5, and 6. I don't get to get to all the hope. So I'm stuck in condemnation. Y'all are going to spend a whole week in condemnation. That's where you need to stay. Just stay there. Even though Paul's letter was written as a whole unit, right? So I've wrestled with God for the last couple weeks. In a good way, not in a bad way, in a good way. And it was this. I've got to give them hope. God, I've got to give them hope. I can't leave them there. I've got to pour them the hope. And you know what God did? He said, Mike, just preach the passage. He didn't say that verbally. I didn't hear Jesus talking to me. Just hear me. Don't get me wrong. I still believe in cessationism. But he showed me in the passage that he intertwines his hope throughout the passages, even in the condemnation sections. He's masterful. Masterful. Only God could write this book. So I'm not going to say 12 to 16 is only the condemnation for those that break the law. I'm also going to add the little caveat... For those who God works in and they repent and believe in Jesus, they will keep the law. Not the law of Moses. We'll argue that later. But the moral law, who God is, is righteousness. Not perfectly. Definitely not perfectly. But directionally. Aren't you glad? Aren't you happy? Aren't you joyful that God is just? That he's impartial. That he's omniscient. And that when he judges, he does not but judge based on outward. If he, were, if he judged only on outward appearance, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't it? He judges based, based on the secrets of men's hearts. And which he knows it very well. For you that haven't repented and trusted in Christ, the hope for you is now. Turn to him, trust him, and if you do, if you trust in Christ, you too will be declared right, and God will work in your heart. For you that have trusted in Christ, he knows your hearts. He knows that you battle with sin. He knows that you love Christ. He knows that your only hope is in him. And you are declared right with God, and one day you will be with him in glory. 
glory and honor and peace forevermore for all of us who have trusted in Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. What a passage. What a passage. So again, the primary perspective to understand in this is what? We're all condemned. We need Christ. But the sub idea is, is that those that work in Christ, God is working in. Causing us to seek Him, glory and honor and immortality. We know that we're all condemned. We're all worthy of judgment because of the righteous standard. But God, we know that we are condemned for a lack of repentance in our life and penance and covering and all those things. Yes, but God, we know that we are condemned by our deeds because all of us have sinned. All of us have not done what God has said perfectly directionally all the time, right? So we deserve his judgment. And we know that all of us have broken the law. Every one of us. You want some good news though? Christ, Christ obeyed perfectly. He kept the law. He never broke the law. He never was self-righteous. He was perfectly righteous. He always walked the righteous line. He always did what God said and did. And what did God do? What did the Father do? Instead of judging me and you, instead of judging us, you know what he did? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him, Jesus, God made him, Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God and him. That's the great exchange. The unrighteous for the righteous and the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ died for us. And that's good news. That's good news. So salvation in Christ, our lives, our perspectives dramatically change, don't they? We go from people who are ungrateful and rebellious to people who are thankful and obedient. What's our favorite what is our favorite holiday at our house? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Obviously. Fairly sure the kids like Christmas a little bit more than Thanksgiving. But Daddy loves Thanksgiving. And it's not because he gets to fill his belly, even though that is another side note. Daddy loves Thanksgiving because God sent his son to die for daddy. And I'm thankful. So what happens, beloved? For even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Daddy used to be this man that did what? He didn't honor God and he didn't give thanks. He had an ungrateful, unloving, unthankful, unpraising God heart, but God, God did something. He changed my heart, and he sent his son to die for me, rise from the dead to give me new life. And now what do I do? The result is I'm always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Why? Why, beloved? Why? 
Because the Spirit of God's working within me, as you know from Ephesians. And the result is, is that I give thanks in all things. You want to know, beloved. You want to know the one thing, probably the thing, the mark of a Christian. The main mark of a Christian. What is it? Ready? Gratitude. Gratitude. An awareness that I deserve hell, but Christ saved me. Thank you. And so what do we do, beloved? We're different. We're different. And though we're in these bodies of death and we struggle, as Paul says in Romans 7, 25 and 8, 1, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't stop between 7 and 8 either. The gratitude flows from an understanding I'm not condemned in Christ. And we go from ungrateful to grateful because God worked in us. Let's pray. Father, what a what a truth. What a what an amazing truth. You take sinners like us and and save us. You work in us. Why us? <laughs> Why us? All we can say is, you sure are being glorified through saving wretches like us. Because we love you, God. You're our Abba Father. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify Christ in all that we do. We echo the testimonies of the baptismal candidates. We say, we too stand with Christ. We too depend on Him alone. We too are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And God, we are here to worship You. Take our lives, God. Let them be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take our lives, God. Use them for your glory, for your honor. For you, God, are the only one worthy of all worship and praise and glory and power. We praise your name. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.